All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, this Thanksgiving is upon us. And uh, I know we'll make this announcement later, but just want to remind you that, that tonight is an opportunity for us to gather together with uh, other local Red Oak area churches. And we'll be worshiping here uh, at East Ridge Baptist Church tonight at 6.30 p.m. Um, and so would you come and be a part of that? Come and welcome the other churches here to our church um, as we may greet them and, and serve them well, as well as worship alongside of them. And so we look forward to a good time of worship this evening and, and just invite you to come back and to be a part of that at 6.30 tonight. Well, today we are continuing in our series, The Parables of Jesus, and we've been in Matthew chapter 24 for several weeks now. We've been looking at Jesus's second coming. We've been looking at those types of things that are centered around that, and now we, we continue to move, and we're going to look at the faithful and the unfaithful servant, and we're still centered on Jesus's coming. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we dive into the message today, but uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51 is our text. I'm going to read that, and then we'll pray, and we'll dive in. What then is, who then, excuse me, is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church, Lord, uh, recognizing that, that we are the church. And as we gather together this morning, Lord, may you just teach us. Teach us a new way of life that the gospel opens up for us. That the gospel changes everything. And here we, we see a picture of that this morning. And Lord, as we dive into this message, we do ask that you would help us to be like the faithful servant. Help us to understand what it means to be a faithful servant to you. And how that contrasts with those who are unfaithful. Lord, we thank you again for this time, and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show Downton Abbey. It was a, a popular show. It was on for six seasons. They're thinking about coming out with a, a sequel to this show, and, and the show itself is set in the early 1900s. It's about the Crawley family, and the Crawley family is part of the British aristocracy. They were very well connected. They were very rich. They owned a large estate known as Downton Abbey. And, and this estate is so large that it takes a, an army of workers to make everything happen on this estate. And the butler and the housekeeper, they're the ones who are set over these workers. And their job is to make sure that they get everything going and that the workers are in line, that this estate is in line. And, and so they, they take care of of everything. I mean, literally everything from, from the clothing to, to the food, to the, to the cleaning, to the bedding, to the toiletries, everything that you could think of, these workers uh, take care of. And it is their meticulous care of the butler and the housekeeper that makes them very good 
at their job. I remember uh, watching one of the few episodes that I did watch of this show. Uh, the, this man, he was serving the family dinner, and the butler sees that there is this thread on this guy's coat just kind of hanging off, like barely could see it. And he approaches this guy, and he says, you have to leave the room immediately. And he's like, oh, what, what's going on? And he's, you have this thread on your coat, and you should have made sure that that wasn't there before you came in. And so this guy had to, had to quit serving the, the family, leave the room immediately, go take care of this thread, get it cut off of his coat, and then come back in, serve the family some more. And there are a number of examples like that throughout the show, which is honestly why I couldn't keep watching the show, right? Their ships are sinking, war is raging. I mean, all of these terrible things are happening, and these people are worried about a, th- a thread on a coat of somebody who is serving someone there. And so I could not continue to watch the show. But even though I couldn't get into the show, it does do a, a pretty good job of picturing for us what it looks like to be a faithful servant to the British aristocracy in the early 1900s. And likewise, today's passage pictures for us what it looks like to be a faithful servant in God's kingdom, both now and in the future. And so what does that look like? What does it look like for us to be faithful servants of God. That's the idea that Jesus opens with in verse 45. He, he begins, he, he kind of asks this question, who then is the faithful and wise servant? And so what does it take to be a faithful servant? Does it just take you being a good person? Does it take you wearing the right clothes at, at the right time? Does it take you showing up to church every time the doors are open? Does it, does it take you following all the rules in the Bible? Does it take you being a, a leader in the church? What does it take for you to be a faithful servant. How does Jesus answer his own question? Well, Jesus answers his question with a parable. So look at the remainder of verse 45. Jesus continues by saying this, whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time. And so Jesus pictures for us a scenario, right? You have this master. He has this large estate, much like the Crawley family in Downton Abbey. He has a lot of workers who run this estate. Something comes up, he has to go out of town, he goes on vacation, he goes on a business trip. We're ultimately not told why, but he has to leave the estate. And so he looks for one of the workers who happened to be maybe a faithful worker in the past and and he leaves them in charge. And he says, I want you to take care of the other workers. I want you to make sure they're taken care of, I want you to make sure they're working, I want you to make sure primarily that they are fed that they're able to have the nourishment that they need in order to continue to work for the estate. And so he chooses one of these servants, he tasks them, he sets them over the servants. And, you know, you think about it, this could go one of two ways, right? This, this guy could be faithful to the master's request and he could feed the servants well, or, or he could be unfaithful and he could just disregard them. And that is what happens. So we're going to look at these two scenarios one at a time. And as we do, we're going to learn what it means to be a faithful servant. So first, we're going to look at the picture of the faithful servant. And in verse 46, Jesus says this, Blessed is that servant whom his master, oh, excuse me. Let me go back. Verse 45, getting ahead of myself. He says, whom his master has set over his household to get them their food at the proper time. And so here's this guy. He's there. Um, we're, we're seeing this faithful servant and he says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, 
right? This guy is, is there. He's going to be faithful to the task at hand. He is making sure that these folks are being fed uh, while his master is away. So day in, day out, he is caring for them. Nobody goes hungry. Nobody goes without any food. He continues to serve the people while the master is gone the entire time that the master is gone. What is the reward for this person being faithful? Verse 47 tells us, Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. The faithful servant is giving more responsibility. Right? They not only set over the other people, but he is literally set over all of the possessions of the master in that house. Faithfulness earns greater responsibility. And that's the first part of the parable proper. But now we got to think, well, well, how does this parable apply to us? Right? I mean, we don't live in an era where there are these large estates and, and there, are, there are servants who need to work on the estate. And we can kind of be like one of these servants um, who is going to be set over other servants. And we can be faithful to the task and then we'd be set over all kind of other stuff. Right? That is typically not how things work today. This is a parable for Jesus' day. He was connecting with the people during that time, which is what parables typically do. But we got to ask ourselves, I mean, this is in God's Word. And so why did God allow this to be in His Word? Why is that here for us today? What can we get out of this parable? How does it apply to us? Well, I think context is key. And the parable, it comes in the context of Jesus's second coming. We've been studying that. It's taken us several weeks to go through those ideas of Jesus's second coming. But, but if you were to read this all at once, right, you would, you would get this context pretty clearly that it comes in the context of Jesus's second coming. And those who are faithful to live as Jesus's disciples, those who follow him, those who continually are used by him, those who image him to the world, those who, who, who display God's character to the world for Christ, those who are faithful disciples of Jesus, those who are ever growing in maturity, those who are helping other people grow and, and mature in Christ, those who are faithful disciples of Jesus will be rewarded with a greater level of responsibility in the kingdom to come. And so let me unpack that for you for a moment. The popular idea of the kingdom to come is that we are like these angels who are floating around on a cloud, playing a harp, singing songs, right? It's kind of this picture of disembodied worship for all of eternity. And while we will definitely be worshiping the Lord in the kingdom to come for all of eternity, I don't believe we're just going to be in this one long church service where we're singing every single day forever and ever and ever. Some of you who are really into music, that, that will be your ideal form of heaven. Others of you who are not, maybe that, that's not where you want to be, but, but that's not what the picture the scripture gives for us regardless. There will certainly be worship in heaven, for sure, right? We see that throughout scripture, but this worship is going to be more than singing. It involves us faithfully living for God for all of eternity, and that's the point that Paul is making here in Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, he says, by the mercies of God, by, by the gospel, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what does that tell us about worship? Well, it tells us that faithfully worshiping the Lord involves us living for the Lord. 
It involves us giving up our will and our wants. It involves us doing that every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Right? Worship is living a gospel-transformed life. We come together on Sunday, we come together to praise God for the salvation that He has wrought in our lives, as well as we come to learn how to live out the implications of the gospel from one another. Our church service is not only a time for us to gather together to worship God through song and the the preached word, but it's also a time for us to gather together in community to be equipped to worship Him the rest of the week. And if you take that idea, worship is daily. It involves us faithfully living according to God's will and and applying it to to our future. You get a picture of what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. In the future, when Jesus returns, we will be worshiping the Lord by living according to His will, and we will do so without sin in a renewed world. And this is the picture that we get in Revelation chapter 21. The new heavens and the new earth are going to come down, the new Jerusalem, which means that we're going to actually be citizens of a city in the future. A city where we have responsibilities, a city in which we will live and we will work for all of eternity. Now, some of you hear that word work and you're like, man, that does not sound like heaven to me. Like, I do not want to work For all of eternity in a city, I was so looking forward to just retiring and hanging out on a beach somewhere and not having to worry about all of this work stuff. Well, let me just say, you got to keep in mind that that work is what we were created for. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, God says this, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So God's looking for somebody to work the ground. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And so we get this perfect garden. And God puts the man in there. And what does this man do? Well, verse 15. He's put there to work it and to keep it. We were created to work. Our God is a working God. He's a creator. He, he created the heavens and the earth. God is still working today. He's sustaining everything. If God was not sustaining this world, this world would just fall apart. It would fly apart. But God is sustaining this world. And so we were created to work as we were created in the image of God. Well, you're thinking, okay, if we're created to work, why do I hate working so much? Why do I dislike work. Well, the reason you dislike work is because of the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were, you know, they plummeted this world into sin. Its world was polluted by sin. And part of the curse was that our work would be laborsome. It would be more difficult. And so our work has been made more difficult by the fall, not, not, and as well as there are all these other people that we have to deal with when we're working who are, who are also corrupted by the fall, who are sinners. And so this is what makes work so difficult. It's the curse uh, on the one hand by God on our work, and then the curse on on man on the other hand by him living a a sinful life and us having to interact with other sinners on a daily basis. Makes work more difficult. But we see a glimpse of what work might be like in the new heavens and the new earth when when you think about your hobbies, right? Like many people in here have hobbies, and your hobby... Uh, is probably not 
sitting in a dark room doing absolutely nothing for hours upon hours upon hours, right? Your hobby probably involves some form of work, right? So remodeling a car, making a quilt, hunting, training dogs, caring for your lawn, whatever it is that you like to do, that's work. That, that involves some sort of form of labor, right? It takes effort, it takes skill, it takes time. That's work. But the difference between your hobbies and the work that you might do as your job is that you enjoy your hobbies. And since you enjoy them, it doesn't feel like you're working, but it's something that you really like to do. And I'll say all that to say that even though in the new heavens and the new earth in Jerusalem, we, we are going to have to work, I don't believe that it's necessarily going to feel like work, right? We're going to enjoy the things that we do on a daily basis because we're going to be released from the curse. And so even though work is what is to come, even though we're going to have greater responsibility, some more than others, we will enjoy what we have and we will work. We will have a job. We will have responsibilities. Some will have greater responsibilities than others, and those responsibilities will depend on our faithfulness to Jesus now. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to get into the idea a little bit more when we start talking about the parable of the talents, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to leave it here for now. Those who are faithful to Jesus now will be rewarded not only with eternal life, but also with greater responsibility in the kingdom to come. Faithfulness looks like us continually living according to God's will, no matter the situation that we find ourselves in. And that's what separates the faithful servant from the unfaithful servant. And that's where we're going next. We're going to get a picture of this unfaithful servant. And so what does the unfaithful servant look like? What picture does Jesus paint of him? Verses 48 and 49. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. So this guy, he, he operates completely different than the first guy. Instead of remaining faithful the entire time that his master is gone, feeding the servants, making sure that they're cared for, he only does that for a time. And then he, he reverts course and he, and he begins to act differently. We're not told how long his master is delayed, but we're told that his master is delayed. And as soon as he sees that his master is delayed, he begins to act differently. You see, in Jesus' day, there was no Facebook, right? He couldn't go and, and, and look at, you know, the pictures that his master is, is posting out there and, and see all of the things that he's doing and see that his master is still alive, um, to see that maybe he's, he's beginning to head back to the estate. There's no messenger um, there's no telephone. They had snail mail, but, but snail mail really was not, you know, super reliable and it was very expensive to use. And so there was really no way for the master and his servant to be able to communicate with one another. And so you just had to trust that his master was still out there, his master was still alive, that his master was indeed going to return. But this guy had been gone so long that he probably forgets that he has a master. He says, hey, he's set me over all this stuff. He set me over these servants. He hasn't come back in a very long period of time. I am tired of making sure that these guys are fed every single day. You could imagine how large of a job that might be if, if this guy has a large estate and, and many servants to make sure that everyone gets their meal two, three times a day or maybe even a snack in between. And so what did this guy do? Well, he starts doing things his own way. He doesn't take care of the people. He begins to indulge his flesh. And he does two things as a result. He acts unjustly. 
He abuses his position. He abuses those underneath him. Instead of taking care of them, he beats them. He lashes out against them in violence. And along with beating his fellow servants, we are told that he befriends drunkards. He eats and drinks with them. He takes up their lifestyle. He begins to live like them, which is a completely different lifestyle than he had when he was living on the estate. And I'm sure that this change did not happen overnight, right? A a switch did not flip in this man's heart. And then he all of a sudden goes from being a faithful servant to an unfaithful servant overnight. Corruption existed in this man's heart for a long period of time. And that corruption was actually kept at bay by his master when his master was there. The master acted as a restraint, but with the restraint lifted with him not knowing if his master's going to come back and probably thinking his master's not going to come back, he says, hey, I'm not restrained by my master anymore. I don't have to do what he says. I can live how I want to live. I can allow myself to be free. I can allow my heart to chase after whatever pleasures it wants to chase after. And that's exactly what this guy did. And I think we see something similar in our own lives and in our own churches at times. All right, think of that kid who grew up in the church all their life. They were taught a certain way of life. They were taught that, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get drunk. You shouldn't use drugs. You shouldn't have sex before you get married. You, you, know, you, you should definitely come to church every single time that the doors are open. And, and then this person, when they leave home, they go off to college or maybe they move to another city to, to, for work somewhere. They begin to live in a completely different way. You know, they, they begin to get drunk all the time. They, they begin to use drugs. They, they begin to have sex before they get married. They certainly don't come to church on a regular basis. And as parents, you know, we wonder why. You know, I mean, I mean they, were, they were so good when they lived at home. Why are they acting this way now? Well, they're acting this way now for the same reason that the unfaithful servant is acting the way that he's acting. The restraint has been lifted. The restraint is no longer there. And when the restraint is removed, the heart shows its true nature. That's what happened with the second servant. That's what happens with a young adult who who walks away from the faith when he or she gets older, when it seemed as if they were just so on fire for Christ prior to that. Or you might imagine another scenario. How about the church-going businessman who goes on a business trip only to look at, at pornography in his hotel room? Or even worse, he, he cheats on his wife. Hearing about this, we would say things like, well, he just seems so faithful. What happened? I mean, why did he do that? He has such a lovely family. And that happened for the same reason that the child who left home began to rebel. When the restraint is lifted, the true heart of the person comes out. And the same thing happens when you go to Las Vegas for a vacation, right? You guys all know the motto, what stays in Ve- what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. All the restraints are lifted. You can be whoever you want to be while you're here. Nobody will ever know what you do here stays here. When the restraint is lifted, our true nature begins to show through. When the outside influence that keeps our true desires at bay are no longer present, our true heart will come out to play. The unfaithful servant pictures for us what happens here when our heart is not truly changed, but is just simply restrained by outside influence. This is why external behavior change or modification never works. This is why legalism never, ever works. 
at some point, you're either going to get tired of all of the restraints that are being put on you and, the, and your true heart is going to break through or those chains are going to be broken and you are going to begin living how you wanted to live all along. You see, what we actually need is true heart change. Change that occurs from the inside out, not the outside in. We cannot change somebody from the outside in by putting all of this external pressure on them and giving them all these rules to follow. People will follow it for a time. People will follow it while the restraint is there. But as soon as the restraint is gone, they will no longer follow those rules. And so what we need is we need our heart to change from the inside out. And the only way that that can take place is if the Holy Spirit works in our life, if He renews us, if He regenerates us, and He continues to renew us each and every single day as we grow to be more like Christ. It does not happen on our own. It does not happen as other people put pressure on us. It happens through the work of the Spirit. And as we as a church depend on the Spirit to work in people's lives through the word that we are preaching and the message that we are giving them. And that's what we do. We trust that the Spirit would continue to work. And when the restraints are lifted in someone's heart who has truly been changed, then they will live the same in the situation where the restraints are we're there. See, the gospel can rescue us from our wickedness. The gospel can free us from the bondage of sin so that we can live for Christ. We can be transformed through the gospel, and we can continue to be transformed each and every single day as we learn to live and as we learn to think like Jesus through the Word of God and the community of the church. And this is why it's so important that you are part of a healthy church that is grounded and founded and guided by God's Word. Because it is only God's Word that will continue to transform us each and every single day. And it's only through the community, the church community, as we all come together to help one another live and learn Jesus. As we, as we help one another live to think like Jesus, or think like Jesus and live like Jesus. It is only through the community that that will take place. And if we don't turn to Jesus, if we continue to walk down the same path as the wicked servant, well, what's going to happen? Well, we're not going to have greater responsibility in the kingdom to come. Instead, something else is going to happen. And what is that? What happens to the unfaithful servant? What is his reward? We've already seen the reward of the faithful servant, right? Greater responsibility. You get to enter into the kingdom to come. What about this other guy? 50 and 51. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so as with many of Jesus' parables, he moves from the immediate story to the, to the larger story or the eternal story. We're told that this person is going to be cut in two. We're told that he's going to be put with the hypocrites. We're told that this place is going to be a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This clues us into the idea that this is not just simply a story about a master and, and a servant on some estate somewhere in this physical world. This is a story about Jesus and his kingdom. And just as this master in the story punishes the servant who doesn't remain faithful, Jesus punishes all of those who are not faithful to him. 
A future judgment is going to take place where Jesus is going to return and all of those who are unfaithful to him, all of those who reject his, his right to reign and rule over their lives, all of those who say, I'm going to live life by my own will, by my own wants, by my own desires, I'm going to allow my passions to drive me. All of those who seek to be the big K king in their life instead of the little K king, all of those people who do that will experience punishment. You see, Jesus is coming back. Jesus may have delayed his return by 2,000 years now, but, but one day, Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, he expects those who call themselves believers, who expects those who call themselves disciples or, or Christians, to continue to live as the faithful servant. No matter what situation they're in, they're always living according to his will and his wants for their life. They are a living sacrifice who is giving their life as worship unto God. We're saying, God, you are holy. You are great. You are all wise. And we will follow you and we will allow you to guide and direct us. That is worship. And that's what those who are faithful do, no matter whether they're, there's some Christian restraint or they're off somewhere living halfway around the world by themselves where not one person knows them. Those who are faithful live the same in every single situation. Anything else is being a hypocrite. And a hypocrite is, is derived from the theater. It carries the idea of us putting on a mask, becoming someone else for a time depending on the situation in which we find ourselves. The unfaithful servant, he was a hypocrite. The faithful servant was not. He acted the same in every situation, whether the master was there or not. And how about you? Do you consistently live for the Lord no matter the situation in which you find yourselves? Or do you live one way when there's Christians around, your family's around, people who know you from back then is, are around, and another way when all of that restraint has been lifted. Those who are faithful servants consistently live according to God's will, no matter the situation in which they find themselves. And so are you a faithful servant? Are you ready? Are you prepared for Jesus to return? Would you be counted among those who are faithful, or, or are you an unfaithful servant? Are you a hypocrite who lives one way around church people and another way around other people when the restraints are absolutely off the rails? Faithful servants are faithful no matter the situation in which they find themselves. They are ready for Jesus to return and they will be rewarded not only with eternal life but greater responsibility in the kingdom to come. Are you living as a faithful or an unfaithful servant? And that's the question that we all need to ask ourselves as we enter into our time of response. And if you find that, that you are living as a faithful servant here this morning, man, this is an opportunity for you to praise God. Because the only reason that you are faithfully living for the Lord each and every single day is because God is working in your life. Your faithfulness is a testimony to God's day in and day out work in your life. And if you find that you are not an unfaithful servant, if this morning you are convicted and you, and you realize, man, I do not live the same way, you know, in every situation in which I find myself. You can experience true change. Not just behavior modification, external change, but true change from the inside out. By believing in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Professing Him. 
shows that you have been transformed, that you have been regenerated, and that you will continually be renewed by the Spirit each and every single day. Now is an opportunity for you to call yourself a Christian, a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus. Someone who seeks to, to learn Jesus, to, to think like him and to live like him on an everyday basis and help others to do the same. By believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, by repenting of your sins, you can experience what the faithful servant experienced. You can have eternal life. You can have that greater responsibility in the kingdom to come instead of being placed with those who are weeping and experiencing gnashing of teeth because the pain is so great. And so today, as, as we enter into our time of response, as we sing, and if the Lord is, is drawing you to himself this morning, if you desire to profess faith in Christ this morning, now is an opportunity for you to do that. As we sing, I'll be down here at the front to, to receive you, to, to pray with you. If you want to publicly profess Christ as your Savior here this morning, we would be overjoyed to celebrate the work that the Lord is doing in your life. If you want to get together this week, I know it's Thanksgiving week, but if you want to get together this week, be happy to gather together with coffee or lunch and then just talk more about the gospel and more about the work that the Lord can do in your life. But let's respond and let's do that now. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather as a church, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a faithful servant that you would help us to, to live for you in all circumstances in the same way that we find ourselves, whether the restraint is there or the restraint is off, that we would be faithful, that we would live according to your will and your wants for our life, that we would not be counted as a hypocrite. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that if there's someone here or someone watching who, who desires a relationship with you, that this morning that you would draw them to yourself, that they would profess faith in Christ, that they would begin walking as a disciple this morning, and that we as a church would have the opportunity to come alongside of them and help them to learn Christ so that they are living and thinking as he does each and every single day. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.